Hey, good morning again. I'm Pastor Evan. If you weren't here at the beginning, thanks for being with us this morning. We're in Isaiah chapter 9, as Jim just read, page 573 in the Pew Bibles. If you do not have a Bible, you may use that Pew Bible, but if you would like to keep one, we have some black ones that are out on the table as you leave. Um, Feel free to grab one of those, and we would like you to be able to read it yourself and follow along here on Sundays. We are continuing our series, A Weary World Rejoices. Uh, It's Advent and Christmas in Isaiah, so we'll be in this until the end of Advent, essentially. Uh, We will be just looking at what it means that the coming of the promised Messiah in Jesus, like how that brings us rest and peace and joy, how the promised Messiah is good news for a worn-out world. And we've talked about this, we talked about this last week, that we are worn out. Our world is worn out. Our world is restless. And it makes us restless, it makes us exhausted. But Jesus is good news for that world. So if you're here today and you feel restless, you feel exhausted, you feel tired, run down, beat up, hurt, abused, in pain and suffering, Jesus actually comes for somebody like you. And the coming of Jesus is what I want to talk about today, how that brings us hope. And the coming of Jesus brings hope to our dark and gloomy lives. Hope. Hope, it's something we talk about this time of year, but what are we really talking about when we talk about hope? And I realize that for many of you, Christmas doesn't bring as much hope as it once did. For many of you, it reminds you of loved ones you've lost, empty chairs at tables. Some of you, it's lost friendships, people you used to gather with on Christmas Eve to party and celebrate with no longer call you friend. For some of you, Christmas reminds you of division between your families. It reminds you of division between things that are unimportant. For many of you, Christmas reminds you of pain, hurt, abuse. And maybe Christmas still is a very hopeful time for you, but you you may have one eye on the news and realize that our world lacks hope. But we talk about it so much at Christmas, yet our world lacks hope. Each day it seems like every time I look at the local news, I see that another life has been lost to gun violence in Philadelphia. What does hope mean for us? We see people of Mayfield, Kentucky, this week trying to pick up their lives, even as we talk, even as we worship, after a tornado ripped through their town, and many of them may have lost loved ones, and may have claimed, that tornado may have claimed lives of up to 100 friends, families, and neighbors. What kind of hope does Jesus offer to that kind of world, to the world we live in? 
One of my favorite Christmas carols is O Holy Night, and it has this marvelous line about hope. It says, a thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices, isn't just a great line for a sermon or for a sermon series. But what it's saying is that something is promised here. Something about this promised Messiah brings hope to our world. And we, that, the ho- kind of hope that we sing about at each Christmas, and that hope is so wonderful, it's so magnificent, it's so marvelous, it's so glorious that a world that's worn out, tired, exhausted, can burst forth in rejoicing. And it breaks through. That rejoicing breaks through like the sun rising to bring in a new and glorious morning. Like, do you think about that when you hear that song, you sing that song? How absurd that is that a weary world can rejoice. What kind of hope does God promise to give us in Jesus? And so I want to talk about three things today. I want to talk about hope renewed, hope restored, and hope remaining. And we see hope renewed starting in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 9. So turn in your Bibles with me there, and it will also be on the screen. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. And in the latter time he has made glorious the way of the sea the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. God promises. He promises us hope that will renew us. Biblical hope is different than how we often talk about hope. Well, I was thinking about this sermon, and I was trying to figure out what about biblical hope is different than how we talk about hope in our world. And I stumbled upon this article by a pastor in the Midwest And he talked about how when we talk about hope in our world, we always speak of an uncertain hope. So, for instance, I hope that Jalen Hurts will be the franchise quarterback. (laughs) Or I hope that Howie Roseman won't screw up our first-round draft picks next year, all three of them that we potentially will have. I hope... Hear uncertainty? I hope. It's uncertain hope. Or maybe you're not like a sports person and that doesn't jive with you, but what about Clark Griswold who hoped he would get his Christmas bonus? And you watch the whole movie as he struggles with that hope. Why? Because that hope is uncertain. Or Ralphie hoped he'd get a what? A BB gun. And his mom hoped that he wouldn't what? Shoot his eye out. Uncertainty in hope. Or I hope my wife likes what I got her for Christmas. (laughs) All have levels of uncertainty. All are cross your fingers. Hope it will work out. And will these things work out? Maybe, I don't know, unsure, uncertain. Because there's desire, but there's no confidence that it will actually happen. The hope 
we normally express, the hope we normally express in our world is uncertain. And so we get our hopes up. We desire better days. We desire better things. We desire better relationships. We desire that all these things will work out. But we really don't have confidence that these things will happen. But biblical hope is different. Biblical hope is certain. Biblical hope has the desire, but it also has the confidence. So it's completely different. It's counterintuitive to how we even use the word. So in Isaiah chapter 9, Zebulun and Naphtali, these two tribes of Israel who are part of the northern kingdom of Israel, just months after Isaiah's prophetic challenge to Ahaz in Isaiah 7, these tribes fall at the hands of the Assyrians to their king, if you are here last week, King TP3. And all hope is lost. See, Assyria, just like any empire in ancient days and many empires in, in our world, when they come in, they destroy everything. They want to beat you into the ground and bring you to dust. But Isaiah comes and he gives them hope. See, in Isaiah 7, he, he sets the scene that there's one who will be born and he will be named Emmanuel, which is God with us. And in Isaiah chapter 8, he talks about how this Emmanuel is also an Emmanuel of judgment, judgment of the sins of Israel. But then he switches in Isaiah chapter 9 and he prophesies about an Emmanuel of hope from judgment to now hope. And after a time of gloom and anguish, Emmanuel will bring hope. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to thee, O Israel. Rejoice. Something will happen, Isaiah says. Something will happen where hope will come from Emmanuel. And this Emmanuel of hope will renew the hope of all of God's people. And so maybe you're here today and you feel hopeless. That you just need to be plugged into the outlet of hope and be recharged. God promises to give you that And he, Isaiah continues in verse 2. He talks about hope is renewed, but hope is restored. Listen to this. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the, the, for the yoke as they are glad when they divide the spoil for the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior is in battle tumult, and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. God promises us hope that will not only renew us, but that will restore us. Here's what's really interesting about this prophecy. 
Isaiah prophesies in what scholars call the prophetic perfect. What they mean by that is Isaiah prophesies about events as if they have happened before they happened. So he's talking about this biblical hope and how it's different. He's talking about hope and the things that will happen to Israel from Emmanuel as if they have happened before they happened. It's desire and confidence. Think about the type of confidence that you have to have in God that you can prophesy as if stuff has happened before it happened. And everybody looks around, they say, there's no way, I don't see any hope, I just see darkness and gloom and anguish. And Isaiah says, no, there's light. There's joy. He desires renewal, but he also has confidence, he has certainty that it will happen. Every sports fan loves the guaranteed win. You either love the guaranteed win when it's your team because, and hope that your team will win, or you like the guaranteed win because you hope you beat the team who guaranteed that your team will lose to them. But either way, we love the guaranteed win. It became famous most notably in 1969 when Joe Namath guaranteed that the Jets would win Super Bowl III. Isaiah here guarantees a win. He's guaranteeing it but with a different certainty that even Joe Namath, as cool as Joe was, could not have. He has certain hope that God will restore his people's fortunes. See, hope is restored through a great reversal. Darkness turned to light. Gloom into joy. Oppression into freedom. Naphtali and Zebulun, the first to be destroyed, will be the first to be restored. In biblical hope, God promises to restore the hurting, the down on their luck, the worn out, the exhausted. God promises, promises to restore people like that. So in Psalm 34, 18, it says this, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. See, you and I, we move away from the brokenhearted. Like we see them as like real bummers. So we stay away, but God moves next door to them. He moves close to them. It's a great reversal so if you're here today and you're tired, you're worn out and exhausted, if you've been running from God and you felt far from Him, if you experience great injustice, hurt, and pain, if life for you is dark and gloomy, God desires to give you certain hope, a hope that will restore you, that will bring renewal to your life. And God says you can have confidence that it will happen even if it hasn't happened yet. And how can you know that it will happen? Because God guarantees it. But the first step to experience this kind of hope is to admit that you need it. Otherwise, you'll never appreciate it. 
the first step to experience this certain hope in God, this guaranteed hope, this confidence in hope, is to admit that you need it in the first place. Because it leads us to appreciating what God has given us. We understand how far away we are and how God draws near to us, how he moves in next door to us when we're brokenhearted and hurt, and we appreciate him for it. So we have to admit that we need it in the first place. See, those who experience the darkest and gloomiest of circumstances are the ones who celebrate when they see the sun breaking through. When they wake up each day and they see the sun rise, it's a new day. It's a new start. The abused person sighs the biggest sigh of relief in the courtroom when she hears the guilty verdict from the judge. The single mom who labors restlessly to care for her children is the one for whom the pillow is the softest. The sinner who's furthest from God is the one who's most appreciative that the father would see him and run towards him. But the reason many of us are unable to have this kind of hope, this biblical hope, this confident, certain hope, is because we're unwilling to admit that we need it in the first place. See, many of us believe that we've been taught, we've learned from our parents or from schools or from our culture that it's our responsibility to pull ourselves up by our bootstraps. Many of us think that we're near the end of the marathon, we just have to push through for one more mile. We're just so close. I just got to push through, I got to power through, and keep my head down. Many of us think we have too little to be forgiven, so we don't need the hope that God offers. We're just right there. And in fact, God should appreciate us being on his side. See, God's great reversal will only mean something to you. It will only matter to you. It will only change your life if you believe you have much to be reversed. If you believe that you're completely walking the other way and God needs to turn you around, if you believe that you're completely lost and God needs to find you, unless we believe that and we admit that, we will never experience the hope that God promises See, those of us who will find this passage most hopeful are the ones who see themselves as the most hopeless. But when I don't believe I have much to be reversed, if I don't believe I'm walking the wrong way, if I don't believe I'm lost, I'll never experience the great reversal and the hope it brings. See, God promises to renew and restore me in hope But because I put my hope in my own ability to make things happen and the weight of the world then is on my shoulders, it's up to me to rescue myself. It's up to me to muster up hope. If I can't admit it, I'll never see the need for it. So then who's it up to? To get hope into our world and into myself? Me. And so you might have a positive attitude and, and it may be fine that when things are going well and under control, like a positive attitude is great in those moments. 
But really, what good does that do you when life is at its darkest and gloomiest? And only getting darker and gloomier. Like, I appreciate that we all want good vibes and we want positivity in our world, but what do we do when things are out of our control that a positive attitude does nothing for? Like, what happens if you get cancer? Or what happens if someone hurts your kids? What happens if you lose your job? Or the thing you built your life around falls apart? Or what happens if the holidays aren't spent around the Christmas tree, but around the hospital bed? Or even what happens if other things like aren't in our control? Like what happens if China becomes a superpower and we're pushed into another Cold War? See, if it's up to you to muster up hope and to bring hope in your, into our world, what happens is something like that where you can't control it at all? It has nothing to do with you. Or what happens if the dollar tanks and you put all your hope in your money? What then? How's a positive attitude going to handle, handle that? Or what if gas prices just rise to astronomical costs? Or what happens if someone you love disowns you and wants nothing to do with you? So what happens then with your ability to make things happen? What happens then with your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or your positive attitude? You could keep trying. Sure, absolutely. Keep trying. But if you keep putting your hope in uncertain things, your ability, the value of the dollar, or whether your boss likes you or not, or even your own health, because it's not biblical hope, you'll be left with uncertainty. See, hope is only as good as the thing you put your hope in. Let me say that again. Hope is only as good as the thing you put your hope in. And the problem with this kind of hope that I'm talking about, the hope, uncertain hope, in these kinds of things is that they'll let you down. And you put all your cards, all your chips on that number. Because at some point, your ability to pull yourself up by your bootstraps will fade away. At some point, the dollar will go down or your boss will have a bad day and he's being asked to make cuts, and he's no longer loyal to you. Or at some point you get a bad prognosis. See, hoping these kinds of things will wear you out. It will exhaust you because you, you'll be let down by the very things you put your hope in. If hope is only as good as the things you put your hope in, and you put your hope in uncertain things you're left with uncertainty. And you'll end up driving yourself into further gloom and darkness. But there's good news. 
Like, and you might be here today and you're like, thanks for this. I really appreciate how gloomy my life is and how uncertain it is, but there is good news here. Look at verse 6 through 7. This is hope remaining for to us a child is born, to us a son is given. The government shall be on his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God promises to promise us hope that will renew us. He promises hope that will restore us. But he also promises us hope that will remain forever. Psalm 43, verse 5 says this, Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. David, who writes this psalm like Isaiah, has biblical hope. He's cast down. He's in turmoil. When life has gotten dark and gloomy. What does David have? Hope. But hope in what? And really, it's not a hope in what. It's a hope in who. It's hope in God. See, hope is only as good as the thing you put your hope in. If you're going to have sustainable, lasting, eternal hope, the thing we must hope in must never let us down. And when I put my hope in uncertainty and in uncertain things, the uncertainty just piles on on top of itself. But what Isaiah and David show us is that it's not a thing but a person that I must put my hope in to find this kind of hope. See, certain hope requires a certain person. And this certain person who gives us certain hope comes as a child. He's the Emmanuel of hope who will carry the weight of the world on his shoulders, who will be a king who is a wonderful counselor. He's mighty. He's God himself. He's eternally kind, compassionate, and warm-hearted like a really, really good father. And the prince of peace. And he comes with a kingdom Isaiah says, built on the promises God guaranteed to David. Filled with eternal justice for the hurting and eternal righteousness to point us to God. So who is this? Who is this Emmanuel hope? Who is this child? Look at Matthew chapter 4. Listen to this. Maybe you've heard this already earlier today. But now when he heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee and leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of where? Zebulun and Naphtali. The first places to fall to Assyria. This child, this person, this Emmanuel is there. 
so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled, the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region in shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. See, this child that Isaiah promises is Jesus. who's also the promised eternal king who reigns over the promised eternal kingdom. And his gospel brings hope to, all, to our dark and gloomy lives. See, God is so close to the brokenhearted. If you're brokenhearted and in pain and anguish and suffering, God is so close to you. But God is so close to the brokenhearted, he draws so close to them that God himself takes on human flesh and he moves next door into the neighborhood of the broken, the hurting, the tormented, the sick, the abused, and all those who've had their hopes crushed. And he goes to the cross and experiences the gloom of abandonment by his friends and he's mocked by his enemies as he hangs and waits to die. In the deepest darkness that comes with having our sins on his shoulder, God himself, God the Son, bears this on himself so much he experienced the deep darkness, darkness that more than you and I will ever experience of the Father turning his face away from him. But on the third day, what happens? God pulls off another great reversal He brings life to Jesus' body and he raises him from the grave and he did this to offer you certain hope. A hope you can desire, but also, yes, but also hope you can be confident in. A hope that will remain forever and all I have to do, all you have to do to receive that kind of hope is to do what Jesus says, repent. Turn from your ways of finding hope and put your hope in him instead, and him alone. So now when you go through dark and gloomy times, you can have confidence that God moves next door to you in those times. And he reveals to us the things we hope in that will lead us to being worn out And he invites us instead to put those things aside, get rid of those things, toss those things out, and put our hope in his son instead. The only one who can give us hope, the hope we're looking for, a hope that will renew, restore, and remain with us forever. And one day Jesus will return and physically move next door again. I don't know if you knew this, but Joy to the World as a poem was written to talk about the second coming of Christ. So next time you sing it, think about that. That one day again, Jesus will come and heaven and nature will sing. And we can be certain in that too because we put our hope in not in uncertain things, but the certain king. See, one author wrote that biblical hope This pastor in the Midwest wrote that biblical hope is not a mere desire for something good to happen. It's a confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. Biblical hope has moral certainty in it. 
When the word says, he talks about Psalms, excuse me, Psalm 43, it says, hope in God. It does not mean cross your fingers. It means, to use the words of William Carey, expect great things from God. So my challenge to you is to expect great things from God. Life might be difficult, it might be dark, it might be gloomy. You might be looking at the world and say, this world is dark, it's difficult, it's gloomy. But expect God to break through. Keep your eyes open for the little ways he brings joy, gladness, and freedom when life is gloomy. Or the ways he brings life into darkness. And that can come from an encouraging text from a friend or an unexpected Christmas gift or just a hug from someone who loves you. Those are pieces, the small pieces of God breaking through to move close to you. But you also have to toss out the uncertain things you put your hope in. If hope is only as good as the things you put your hope in, there's a lot of things you've got to get rid of. So this week, I would just challenge you to ask yourself, take a pen and paper and write at the top, what would destroy me if I didn't have it anymore? Is it your house? Is it your job? Is it your car? Like if you didn't have those things, would it destroy you? Would you be crushed? Or what about your wife or your husband or your kids? If you didn't have those things, would your life be over? Or what about money or approval or respect or recognition? What is it? What is the thing that would destroy you if you didn't have it anymore? That is the thing. Those are the things that you're putting your hope in. And many of us are unsatisfied because we put our hope in unsatisfying things. Many of us run after things we'll never catch. Many of us run after the next thing, the next client, the next job, the next meeting, the next house, the next friendship, the next relationship. If I just have that one thing, and I hope that I'll get it, we're running after things we may never catch. And what happens is we fall into hopelessness again and again and again. But hope is only as good as the thing you put your hope in. So ask God to forgive you for putting your hope in that list of uncertain things. And then ask God to give you certain hope in Jesus. And when darkness and gloom creep in, which it will, my challenge to you is to run to Isaiah 9 or Psalm 34, verse 18. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Or Psalm 43, 5, put your hope in God. You need these verses ready to go in your back pocket to refocus your hope on the certain king. The last verse of O Holy Night ends this way. Sweet hymns of joy in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us praise his holy name. See, the coming of Jesus brings hope to our dark and gloomy lives. And when you have biblical hope, that certain hope, even when life is dark and gloomy, a thrill of hope will bring rejoicing to your weariness. 
in the middle of your weariness. And because God gives us certain hope in Jesus, let all within us praise his holy name. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Help us to put our hope only in him. If you're here today and you realize that you're putting your hope in a bunch of uncertain things, you never have put your hope in Jesus. I invite you for the first time to just ask God to forgive you silently right now in your seat and ask him to put your hope in Jesus alone. But for most of us, Father, we need to put our hope in you again for the 100th time, the 1,000th time, the 1 millionth time. Forgive us for the things we go to, we run to, the uncertain things for hope. And may we have the confidence of the hope we have in Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.